Hi again, listeners. Welcome back to the Leverage 10 podcast, Inside the Writer's Room Edition. As always, I'm your host, Kayla Dobson, and this week I'm joined by John Rogers, executive producer and co-creator of Leverage, supervising producer Paul Guillaume, executive story editor Josh Shear. <laughs> In this episode, we're asking our listeners to use their imagination as we explore the island of misfit jobs. Uh, to help our audience understand what we're talking about a bit better, let's get right into our first question. So... What exactly is this island of misfit jobs, and how many different ideas rest there? Is it just a few, or is it too many to even count? Uh, the island of misfit jobs, or any ideas, and all of them are full of jobs, uh, when you break uh, a show like Leverage, where you actually burn about two or three plots an episode, which is more than, than most shows uh, burn just because of the structure, you wind up with a lot of cool ideas, funky ideas, weird twists, uh, story arenas that just never quite work. And so they, for a long time, they actually went up on the wall and lived there. Uh, the cards just stayed there on the idea that someday we'd be able to use them. Only, only recently in the fourth year did we move them to a different corner of the room or out of the story development area. Now they kind of live in their own little, their own little dark uh, corner. So that's the island of misfit jobs. That's the island that all the ideas that, that all the writers for four or five years have come up with that didn't quite get there. Okay, and so talking about these cards... Uh, which card has been up on the board the longest, and has there ever been an idea that you really just couldn't crack? There's a couple. Um, <coughs> and it's, it, both, both Josh and Paul joined us last year, so they weren't here for the early horrible days. Um, <laughs> I think probably the lottery job's been up there the longest. Um, we figured out a way to rig lottery machines and frame someone for it in a really super elegant way and pay off the victims in a really nice way because based on... Uh, some people might remember the Wired article about the, the I think, Toronto-based mathematician who figured out he could predict winning scratch tickets. Uh, there's an algorithm to the printing that oh, reveals yeah. them, yeah. Uh, and they never corrected it because they just realized he wasn't getting enough publicity to ruin it. It was a bit, you, you couldn't buy in high enough volume to really skew everything. But yeah, he, he realized that the nature of the random printing meant it couldn't really, there's not a lot of things like a real random number in mechanical processes. It's usually just random enough to appear random. Uh, and the most mathematicians know that. Like the random number generator on your laptop or whatever, it's not really random. It's, it's, it's fake. Uh, so, uh, unless it's specifically designed to be elsewise. So uh, we folded those two together and we had this great con and this great gimmick and this great payoff. And uh, it just lay there. And no matter what crime we put on it, what con we put on it, what bad guy we put on it, every time we put that up. Christine Boylan broke the original story. In year one, maybe the third episode. Oh wow! And it just never worked, okay. never. It stayed up there. The lottery job might still be actually up on the wall. I think we actually <laughs> give that card honorary status. And the other one is corporate retreat. We've tried to do corporate retreat for years. That's why I was saying. That. Yeah. Well, has there ever been a story that was received incredibly well but was shelved because of specifically production restrictions? Not production restrictions. Bull um, riding this year. What's that? Bull riding this year. Bull riding this year. Bull riding this year. Uh, we like to try to find objects of odd value, so that allows us to live in weird worlds. And Paul, uh, yo, tell him about the, the, the idea <coughs> and, and why why that is a, what is valuable in this particular story. Yes, and why and why I can't talk. Uh, um, I'm sick right now. I um, we had a we had a story that I came up with last year, and we were going to do this season about um, Elliot Spencer, Christian Kane's character, um, having an old mentor um, who was an old aging cowboy. And it was going to go into the whole world of professional bull riding and how um, stock contractors really control that whole world and, and are being mean to bulls and all this stuff. And we actually even had a crew out 
shooting b-roll at the yeah. pbr and then it just became it was it was going to go this season and then yeah. it just became we found out with clearance issues there was there's so many sponsors with so that. many sponsors you can't get them all lined up yeah there's just there's literally yeah. dozens and dozens of them and and we couldn't it would have taken too long to go through the legal process and to get everybody to you have to shoot around an event and the events were slightly off season yeah. than our regular season uh, but what was delightful about it was the fact that it was about bull semen and the fact that that uh <laughs> you can have any, any look anything that has value it can be the subject of a con and um you know, you can have half a million dollars worth of bull semen in a briefcase because, yeah. you know, breeder bulls are that valuable and the, the bloodlines are that valuable. So uh, it just wow. seemed like it seemed like the coolest pot. Yeah. You know, much like the potato gave us a lot of fun with the uh, the diamond motif and taking typical like diamond high stuff and applying it to the potato. The idea of doing uh, classic con stuff with bull semen seemed well nigh overwhelming. <laughs> but but no, it was not to be. You have you have been deprived of that that classic <laughs> leverage episode, folks. Someday. You have deprived deprived of the horrible look of uh, on Hardison's face as he's forced to forge <laughs> a fake canister. <laughs> well, have you ever? I think we broke Caleb. Yeah, I, I don't know how to come back from that. Uh, have you ever started working on an idea and then realized that it had already been done by someone else? And if so, how do you bounce back from something like that? Well, the only thing we've ever done is done it in the same season, and there's no way to avoid that. We did Lonely Hearts uh, when that aired. The White Collar Black Widow Ring episode aired about two weeks beforehand, mm -hmm. or like just as we were shooting, maybe even. But we That's were not very close. Yeah, we were very close. We were on a super close schedule last year, so shoot to air was really tight last year. Um, although that one was in the winter, so it shoots production. Uh, but, you know, we know our genre shows, and, you know, we watch... Uh, it's funny, because we... I don't know about other TV writers, but our staff watches a lot of other shows mm -hmm. uh, and keeps track of them. And, you know, I know what they've done on Psych and Person of Interest. You watch NCIS LA. Yeah. You, you know, everyone's got the, the sort of, like, you know, if is it broad enough to do, and everyone's taking a run at it? Mm -hmm. Fine. Um, but rarely do you stumble across the exact combination. I think this year, you're saying, same season, I think Good Wife did something that we're going to touch yeah. on, but obviously two entirely different shows, yeah. different and the, premises. And the fact we're a standalone genre, I mean, yeah. you can you, you do something, in a, there's a million procedurals. And infamously on the CSI, and this is, this is public knowledge, it's been written about, in the CSI franchise, there's one person whose job it is to wrangle news items. So yeah. that when some high-profile crime or murder hits, the different CSI writers have to call into that person to get dibs. Yeah, and, then and it's first come first. It's serve. First comes first serve. So they will call him at like if if some giant news story hits the web at like Saturday night at ten, he'll get a call. Be like, no, no, CSI New York already got it. Well, I want to hear from you all on this next question. We may have already covered it with the bull semen, but I want to know what is the most bizarre story you've ever pitched to the room, and how did the pitch go? Bearful. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone's ever pitched a crazy story, like a whole on just. Right. It, it's always elements of the story that are crazy. I'll do one. I'll do one. I, I've never done one that of my own that's insane. But my one of my favorite ones from before you guys came on is uh, Melissa Glenn of Glenn and Reader, the Wonder Twins, became obsessed with the idea of selling someone dinosaur bones. And every pitch for like a year, because of course they're valuable, it's collectible, it's a cool con, it's a cool location, you're out in the, you know, the backwoods, you're digging this stuff up, how do you fake dinosaur bones? And every pitch became like the dinosaur <laughs> bone pitch. And it eventually ended with, we even had the tag 
which was we created a because her thing is we create a craze amongst rappers to own dinosaur bones. <laughs> oh, right, right. Because right. it was originally our music producer episode. We eventually then did you know, as a country western episode That's with Christian. Good, yeah. But then it we it ended because uh, most people don't know this, exhibit actually read for the part of Hardison. Oh, wow. And did a really good audition. You really got it. Probably would have gotten it if Aldous hadn't just been so great. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, but the idea that we would call Exhibit, he would come and do like an MTV <coughs> Cribs with the Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton in his lobby. <laughs> and he's just a really cool guy. And he probably would have go. gone. For I love it. that. I, I love. That. And it just became just our bet noir. It just became our, our go to. <laughs> Uh, but then you had one. You had a, 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 a thing. We can't blow too much. It was an episode this year. Why don't, you, why don't you set it up? Because I don't want to. Okay. The, blow the idea it. is, it was, uh, it is a sort of classic murder mystery episode where one of the suspects runs off and dies allegedly accidentally, and we we're trying to come up with the ways that this person could have died. Right. And and now, somehow, it, it, sh- it should be said to start this that the card on the board for like a week was. Gargoyle falls. Yes. All right. So because of the famous scene from Hot Fuzz, right? Of, of course. Just the gargoyle fall. The gargoyle yeah. fall. Yeah. Falling. The fountain of Hot Fuzz. That's where it came of course. From, right. The famous. The infamous. The now, if you're if you're a scene. fan of our show, you know the scene we're talking about. <laughs> <That's right>. So <laughs> you know, there's there's Schindler's List. There's Shoah. There's Hot Fuzz. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, we we went around the room and everybody had their pitches and. Um, I think the one that came before mine was was a bow hunting accident. Yes, uh, yeah, which, yeah. which definitely I think which, got got and then the a room. Long light. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it got the room all a flutter. And then I made the uh, the mistake of uh, throwing my hat into the ring. Um, I I started off my pitch. I think I said something like, "This is a semi serious pitch. What if there's been a lot of of, of bad." What if there's a lot of bear sightings on the on the grounds over the last few weeks, and we make reference to that? Well, I wasn't exactly pitching a bear mauling or anything like that, but that's all that anybody would let me talk about. As soon as the word bear came out of your mouth, I immediately had like the murderer had found a two by four and driven five nails through it to simulate the claws, and then like killed the person with that. And well, plainly this was a bear attack. Look at the claw marks and the impact. From the board, but you took it a step farther. <laughs> that wasn't you were was... like, "That's crazy." Yeah, okay, that, that, right, that, that's crazy, John. That's not what I meant. Out of your mind. Yeah. But I wasn't pitching bear. Mulling. No, you were pitching the I much more reasonable, much more reasonable bear fall. There, there's the, the, the <laughs> where a bear falls on someone. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. no. It's a, now, go in back order to, to prevent we've the all seen incursion the of bears. Yeah. Right. That that the groundskeeper had dug a series of bear falls exactly. around the edge of the, 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 the property. Even when you say it, it sounds fantastic. And then I don't the person know had stumbled and fallen into one, uh, and, and died. And, and that may uh, that made that made the bow hunting pitch sound reasonable. Great. That really made the bow hunting pitch sound like much more reasonable. What I love is you dug in. It's not like no, not your shitty bear claw pitch. I mean a bear fall, <laughs> a perfectly reasonable pitch, and you you really dug in on that, man. You, I don't run away from pitches. You know, small. You really no. don't bail on the pitch. Wow. First don't thing John Rogers taught me: but do not bail on the pitch. Exactly. Do not half-ass that pitch. Do not like. I don't want to see your hand going for that rip cord. I believe in yeah. it. Yeah, dig in that pitch. Anyway, so that was well received, and I, I was I was put in the corner, and I wasn't allowed to speak for a day. The uh, there, I will admit, the first one when Chris Downey turned in the first draft of the Van Gogh job. Uh, he walked in. And he's like, "What do you think?" I went, "Exterior Nazi-occupied France? <laughs> really? That's in a leverage script, a cable show? How are we doing that?" He's like, "I don't know, like a like a hundred Messerschmitts fly overhead." No, that's not. <laughs> and yet we did it. Yet we managed to find a way to do it. But that was one that struck me as possibly a little improbable, uh, at best. And then we're actually doing something pretty insane in the season opener. 
Yeah. I think that that is like that is something that is was both an insane idea mm-hmm. and worked. And and absolutely works and because we got the actual place, you know, we got the actual location. So every now and then you pitch something that's just batshit crazy and we wind up doing it. That's what season openers are for. That's right. That's right. Infamously on the mountain. The mountain was like, yeah. hey, do you want to go on the mountain? We do an episode on the mountain? Well, no. It'll probably kill us. Yes. But okay. Yeah. Came close. Came close. Were you up there for that? You were up there for I that. I was up there for that. You were all bundled up. That's right. You were all bundled up there. But to follow up on that question, uh, what is the strangest thing you've ever been inspired by? And how did this help you write an episode? <laughs> uh, strangest thing we've ever been inspired by. Bull semen. Yeah. Again, the bull semen. Yeah, there's a we really. That should I don't be know if fight. it was the actual semen that inspired me for that. It was more of the idea of one would hold Christian Kane on a bull. Every now and then, a weird <laughs> crime, uh, you know, the comic book stuff. That the fact the Russian mob was laundering money through comic books online that was pretty weird. We never really got. Oh, I got it. Work. Oh, I can't talk about that though. Which which one is it? Uh, the one we just finished, five oh four. Every single the, the the potato was pretty crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll say we won't do your we won't do. I know you're very proud of that one, and you're rightfully so, <laughs> no. because I remember when you came up with it, we were all. It was my wife actually. Oh right. My, we, we were busting our heads of how do we make the French connection that, and then yeah, my wife it had talked about that. And, and a documentary. Like, yeah. As soon as you said, we that. get a lot of episodes coming in because somebody has seen a documentary huh. or has seen something that's really like piqued their interest. Okay. Uh, like I say, a lot of times we hunt. We're hunting valuables. And so the idea, like the, um, you know, I've joked before that I could money launder professionally at this point because I've, I've managed to find every way you can transmit value without, without registering it. Um, the, the comic book, the Russian mob using the comic books was pretty cool. Uh, it turns out that they're, the idea being that um, comic books lose no value if you flip them quickly enough. Okay. And so uh, money laundering, there's always a grift off the top. Uh, or the percentage that you lose taking your dirty money and making it clean. And the idea is to make you lose as little as that. So the idea is, where do you find a big cash industry, big cash marketplace, and that's on eBay. And But the problem is, how do you find stuff that you can flip quickly? Well, you need a stable economy, which is comic book collectors. And so the Russian mob, for a while, was buying, using cash, and making PayPal accounts, and, and just or cash payments and money transfers to buy high-end comic book collectibles, uh, which they would then turn around and flip right back on uh, an internet auction site at only a little bit of a loss. And people would look at that, the collector would go, oh my God, that's actually cheaper Mm -hmm. than that was just up for, often not realizing it was the same book that was on sale two weeks earlier. And they would immediately (laughs) buy it, and so you would be able to churn your dirty money at incredible speed with very little loss. Uh, And that was one we tried to get work for a long time, we just could never get it to work. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff that we just you know we kind of stumble across, but we can never quite land. Wow. Well, and kind of following up on that, I'm really interested to hear about this next question. Uh, do, are there any completed episodes of Leverage that started with kind of an idea you didn't think could ever possibly come to fruition? Uh, the office job. The office job. Yeah. Okay. The office job was always like you know let's let's do one in that stuff. Well, you know, Boys and Girls Night too was a card that was up for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was yeah. up for a long time, maybe since f- really first year. You know what? It was, because I always wanted to do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead and do the do the two separate storylines from both sides. Yeah. Originally, it was going to be the story told from the victim's point of view and then the villain's point of view, and then what if we split the team and we tell those two stories separately? Because uh, I'd pitch the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead version on Cosby, my first writing Wow. Because wow. we had Madeline Kahn and Felicia... Uh, Oh my God! Why am I blanking? 
Rashad. Felicia Rashad. Uh, it was blank because it was 15 years ago. And, you know, the idea that we would tell an episode all from Bill's point of view and then from their point of view, and they actually have this really cool little separate side adventure that we just never see. Hmm. You know? um, so that one, that one we never thought. But Office Job, yeah, the idea of doing it documentary style, uh, they just stumbled into the documentary, and the... I mean, Frakes killed that. I mean, that, that that came out better than I ever dreamed it could come out. So happy. Very, very happy. Co-written by the fabulous Josh Sharon. Uh, Bear Hunter. Bear Hunter, exactly. <laughs> wow, I'm putting that on my business cards. <laughs> but that was what I remember. Bear Hunter thing, the the first show. time we, had, we talked about that, the first time it came up in the room, <clears> we all just kind of looked at each other like, no. Yeah, like, who's writing that? No, come that's on. not. Yeah. Um, Let's stick it, that with someone whose career we want to end. Sure. And then you survived. I managed to survive yeah, somehow. Through, yeah. But I, I, I do remember, um, you know, we talked about it, and then um, I had gone up to Portland to supervise the shooting of uh, 403 15 minutes job, and when I came back, I was awarded the office job. <laughs> <laughs> You've done such a fantastic job. For your yeoman's work on, four, on the 15 minutes job. A lot of times it's just writer order on those. It's yeah. just who's not writing at this particular exactly. time. You bang down an early one. You bang down an early one, so you get a, get a late one. Came back I wonder if people think that writing staffs are, you know, because whenever they do these interviews and, like, written by and, and you do these things, it's always about the sort of, like, careful honing of your season over the course of your thoughtful, you know, your, your thoughtful writer's retreats where yeah. you put stuff on the board and very re- rarely do people realize it's like, ah, uh, who's, who's not, who's not yeah. typing right now? Yeah. You. All right. Yeah. You, you're writing that one. Yeah. That's the way yeah. it is on most shows to tell you the truth. That happened on last year at the carnival job. Yes. When uh, Dean came in and said, I need an episode that takes place almost exclusively to carnival. Go. That's actually slightly, and that's actually kind of interesting because that's what we do more than the misfit jobs, which is the jobs that lay down and die because we don't, we shoot most of the stuff we pitch. It's more the jobs that come out of necessity. Yeah. Uh, we were shooting Van Gogh, and it was plainly going to be super high in budget. And it was at that skating rink that was at the carnival. God, it would right. be nice to be able to park the trucks because people don't know how expensive it is to change locations. And so that's we, it's like we need a show that happens yeah. at the carnival like, mm-hmm. right now. And I think we had two or three days in the room where it was just nothing was happening and everybody was yep. hating it. And then you split up the rooms. And Veach and I went with Jeremy, I think. Donnie did that. Around. I was shooting. I was prepping. Yeah, okay. That's right. Chris did it. And we went in and just just a different energy and something clicked. And Scott Veach and I suddenly found, you know, the true north of it yeah. with the Enter the Dragon, Man on Fire. And then we came out of that room and said, you know, went from nobody wants this episode to we're writing this episode and nobody else is. Yeah, that's, that kind of is relative to the whole idea of the Misfit Jobs, too, is there's always the one that you love that you can never do. You know, or you gotta, or an yeah. episode doesn't work until somebody loves it. You know, the one thing we've never made is an episode, and I'm, I'm proud to say this as we go into our 70th something episode. We never made one that somebody didn't love. That somebody just like, I really want to do this one. I really, and even if I will fully admit, there are showrunners that it is their show. Uh, I am of the opinion that I run a staff, and as the staff, you know, I, I enjoy seeing the different episodes that the staff does. And there are definitely been episodes where I'm like, really? <laughs> All right, give it a shot. And those often are my favorite episodes. I mean, those because they are so surprising and I don't have any presuppositions about it. Mm-hmm. And that script comes in, I'm like, damn, that's, you can feel it. You know, we, we've never thrown up an episode that somebody on the show didn't, wasn't like, yes, fuck yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. And before we move on, I just want to remind our grifters that they can revisit all these episodes that our wonderful writers have written by downloading them from the iTunes store with the seasons past. And now that we're moving on from these old episodes, we can move on to episodes to come. 
Uh, so is there a chance that any of these ideas could resurface and be used for leverage later, or are they just... Yeah, we use all the parts of the buffalo. Some, mm -hmm. of, those, some of those ideas sure. have sat around yeah. forever. You know, certainly elements of corporate retreat showed up in office job. Yep. You know, taking the crew and putting them in a corporate structure and forcing them to communicate in that way. Uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely came about. I think that was that ended up being the lifeblood of Office Job. Uh, both ideas pre-existed my working at the show, but when we started talking about it, uh, you know, again after I got back from filming uh, uh, 403 last year, um, there was a lot of ideas on the table, and that was what made uh, Jeremy Bernstein and I fall in love with the episode. Was the idea that we were going to really talk to our characters face to face? You know, characters would be looking right at the camera, and um, We'd be hearing things about them that we hadn't heard yet. We hadn't heard in however many episodes we'd done already. And that was a special part of the episode. And I think everyone from the actors um, to the writers to the crew, we had, uh, I don't know if you've looked online, but I think we, we ended up posting a lot of the uh, the crew confessions, yeah. uh, which we shot uh, during the episode. It was just, it was it, it really was sort of a, a, a different a different version of a leverage episode and, and that kind of stuff that came from an, an idea from a pre previous episode really made it work. We got another weird one this year. I mean, we got we always do one or two off speeds and I think that's the important thing is as soon as you as soon as you're just making a show, you should not make the show anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, I think the, the the kind of theme of the misfit jobs is it's the, the reason people people really want to still make the show and and often they have a weird vision of the show and it's not quite that that but you know, Chris was talking about a freelancer one time. The freelance, the freelance rules, and for a freelancer, what you want to hear when you bring a freelancer in is, you know, tell me something about my show I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me, surprise me, and you know that is to me the joy of still doing the show is I I'm still surprised year five. It's like I did not know that character was going to say that in your vision of this, you know, your version of this show. Well, and to start wrapping up, uh, we have a couple more questions. How do you decide when, I, when an idea has to be let go? At what point do you realize it can't be sal a salvage or just doesn't really fit the show? The when Josh gets fired. When Josh gets fired. <laughs> when we finally fired Josh. Um, <laughs> that is Really, Bearfall does fit in so does, many pitches. Uh, you never know when that's going to come I'll back. I'll tell you what, it, it's, um, that is unfortunately tends to be my job. Chris will run it out, and I'm, I'm usually the one, I'm, I'm usually the guy at the, on the operating table who call it. And like, you know what, that's time of death, 810, moving yeah. on, let it go. Yeah. Uh, cause he comes from a, a sitcom room where you just kind of, you'd never yeah. like, he hates wasting material. Chris obsesses about wasted yeah. energy. He'll put the paddles he'll again keep, and again. He'll, he'll, <laughs> it's like, no, if we spend a week on it, it's worth it. I'm like, no. And the, the closest we've come to a full episode was Zanzibar job second year. Yes. Cause it was, it was yeah. Jerry's year. Zanzibar job started as a K and R job and started something else. And then it was a Mark Shepard episode. Mm -hmm. And then it was in Venezuela, and just that son of a bitch was one of the first episodes pitched, and it would not break. And every time we finished another episode, we'd go back to it, and we're we're we run out we'd run out of episodes. I mean that that year was crazy because we lost scripts because you know Gina had become pregnant, and we had to change stuff and bring Jerry on, mm -hmm. and um, it was uh, we got to the Friday and Boylan came back from shooting three card um, not three card, whatever the other one was uh, that she had shot. And she came back and said, I have a bottle show. And a bottle show is the holy grail of tele episodic television. It is a show all on your sets that will save your show enormous amounts of money that you can then spend on the bigger budget episodes and it will it will allow you freedom. And it will rest the crew and everything. And uh, we'd spend another two weeks on Zanzibar. And I looked at the Wonder Twins. I said, um, we're going to do this. Yours is, yours is going away. And it was to give them credit, man. They just, uh, Melissa Glenn said, well, can we take a walk? I'm like, take a walk. 
They went out. They walked walked it off. Back in ten minutes, like, all right, let's go. Boom, and we broke and wrote bottle the bottle job in seventy two hours. Wow. wow. Yes, we broke broke it in a day, outlined it in a day. Everyone took an act, wrote it in a day, and then I did the final pass and sent it up, sent it up oh north. And then then we turned around and did the Zanzibar job because it turned out it just needed to be totally unlog jammed. We just needed to get something done to trick our brains into thinking we didn't suck because we were just in that spiral of we don't know how to do this anymore. Oh God, what if we? You just and by the way, every writer's been there. Everyone. Everyone's been there. Frequently. And, yeah. On every script. <laughs> and it was just something about that where it's like, all right, now we'll dive back in. And it was totally, you know, it totally changed the whole attitude on the, right. on the script. But it was, it was, uh, oh, and we've killed episodes. Um, Christine Boylan had two die first year. Wow. I think for May, first year or first and second year. But Christine Boylan had a lottery job, which died. Mm-hmm. And then she pitched a really great train robbery that at the time we could not get access to a train. And then, of course, years later, like the third season, we had all the train we could possibly want. <laughs> it turned out somebody up there owned a private train, and we could get access to oh, it. And we could, but at that time, it was an utterly undoable episode. And you're really missing out too, because um, the great bit about the episode—wow, that was a good episode—was <laughs> it was the it was elements of the classic murder mystery, which we wound up using in the classic murder mystery episode, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Wow, we really picked that one clean, and. Uh, it was absolutely that plot. Oh my God, we totally stripped that show. And um, what it was is, it was a transport. We were trying to get this thing robbed, or trying to figure out where the guy had the money on his train car, because we did. She did a bunch of great research on people with private train cars before it crossed the Canadian border. And the reason it was because uh, Boylan, like many women, have a thing for has a thing for Mounties. But in the leverage verse, the idea was. Uh, Mounties were the most feared law enforcement system on earth. The the bit we were establishing was more than Interpol, more than the FBI, the one law enforcement system on earth that the leverage team would not screw with was Mounties. Even Elliot's like, I'm not, no, not Mounties. We're not doing it. They're just, and just we were kind of doing like a Due South reference. They were just scrupulously polite, utterly unstoppable, and just this this unstoppable law machine that you could not stop. It's like Sigourney and Weaver looking at the mechanism at the end of Galaxy Quest. Yes, exactly. Oh, that. <laughs> exactly. And there's a whole car full of Mounties. And that was the scene we wrote. They're going through. They're like doing the con and they open the door and all these Mounties are coming back from a law enforcement thing in San, Fr- in San Francisco. And that's the next scene is them going, no fucking way. Not Mounties. Interpol, you know, German mil- military intelligence, Mossad, not Mounties. And we did a flashback to how each one of them had run afoul of scrupulously polite Mounties uh, God, over why the course. Why did I, we do that? Awesome. I know. And it just, the episode just did not work. Just, oh, and man. on Archer, they wound up doing it. They did oh, yeah. it on Like Archer. years later, they yeah. did uh, they did. And the they even had an ocelot. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know what there is about Mounties that just makes them resonate for crime writers, but... Um, and so for our last question, uh, John, you already kind of touched on this, but I want to hear from the rest of you. What is your favorite job stuck on the Misfit Island, and why? What's the well? Oh. You can, bull seaman's kind of your yeah. Favorite. Mine, mine, mine's the bull. You, you, you really went well. Bull riding. We're, we're making bull riding. The yeah. MacGuffin was the seaman. Yeah. The the plot was the bull yeah. riding. Yeah. That's yeah. that's mine. And my watch heist, which was always too big. Watch heist was too big, was which is weird because watches aren't a big. Oh, no, I know, I know. I but the, the heist that'll be the novel. Y- you're, well, you're kind of you and Aldous are both into watches. Yes. Aldous is Aldous designs watches, and and Paul had a great heist. 
that just was mechanically too big to do. Mm. Um, you, Nathan? Not for me. I mean, I came in, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, and I pitched you guys a couple of stories, and You've I didn't done get most of them. Yeah, I didn't get to do the one that I wanted last year, but I'm doing it this year. So Bearfall. Uh, yeah, Bearfall. Bearfall. Uh, <laughs> now t- uh, tune in for uh, for the rare car episode yeah. uh, in the middle of the. Damn season. it, Hardison! Say it again. I can kill a bear. <laughs> one man can kill a bear. Yeah. Well, no, what one man can do, another yeah, can do. do. Exactly. I'm gonna kill the bear. Um, I think. Uh, we might do my favorite one, but I, I, I think my my favorite one that we could never quite break um, uh, we'll we'll see if we do it. I don't want to I don't want to blow it, but it, it's it is a family oriented one. It very much takes the crew totally out of their. Uh, well, I'll say it. It's it's a ba- it's a baby episode. Like what? How do each one of them? And we might still still do it someday. But uh, and Jeremy pitched it independently. Yeah. Huh. Jer- Jeremy Bernstein came in and pitched that at the beginning of this year, Five Cons and a Baby, and and it's like I pointed to the walls, like we've actually had that up for God knows how long, uh, because it just seems like that is a situation, a domestic situation that our crew would not be equipped for in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. except in really cool, interesting ways, uh, including the idea of Parker with the baby in a snuggie doing the break-in, <laughs> when we can just never get it to work. It just is like. <laughs> You know you want to see that scene. You know you want to see that episode. But why can't anyone quite get it to work? You know. Well, hopefully we'll be seeing that episode, and uh, hopefully not year five. That one ain't showing no, up this no, year. No. Not this year. No. Well, hopefully all of these jobs will eventually find a home someday. I know, I know our listeners are going to be really excited for some of these. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Thanks again to our writers for being here, and thanks to our grifters for listening in. Tune in next time. And don't forget, you can always get your leverage fixed by downloading all your favorite episodes on iTunes. Thanks again, Grifters.